Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow Fantasy 15-ish edition. A few days early this week to account for the always fun Thanksgiving Day slate on Thursday. Bills-Lions, Giants-Cowboys, Patriots-Vikings. That first game has the highest point total of the week. Bills-Lions expected to hit 53.5 points according to Vegas, so that would be a really fun way to kick off Week 12 and our holiday as well. Second game of the Thursday slate might not be quite as much fun if Vegas is right. They've got Dallas as a 12.5-point favorite as the Giants work through tons of injuries. Four offensive linemen ruled out, Wandell Robinson on IR, no Bellinger at tight end, and no Adoree Jackson in the secondary. Looking ahead to Sunday, we've got a lot of football. No buys this week, remember. So eight games early, four in the afternoon. Packers-Eagles is Sunday night, and Steelers-Colts is Monday. Womp womp with a 39-point, sorry, 39-and-a-half-point total. Uh, notable Vegas notes elsewhere. Chargers cards is the highest post Thanksgiving point total at 48 and a half. And they think two games will be legit blowouts. Dolphins, Texans, Miami favored by 13 and a half and the chiefs Rams where Kansas city is favored by 13 and a half. Both of those games will feature new quarterbacks, which might be a big reason For the lopsided expectations, Kyle Allen is getting the start for Houston this week. Davis Mills sent to the bench. As for the Rams, it's going to be Bryce Perkins getting his first NFL start. Matthew Stafford ruled out with what the team thinks is a strained neck. We're going to see Mike White in place of Zach Wilson as the quarterback for the Jets. He was benched in New York. That probably the biggest news of the week as that's a huge pivot for the Jets to make with their number two overall pick from a few years back. And Sam Darnold is also going to get the start this week in Carolina against the Broncos. A lot of quarterback changes. Um, Still don't know if Justin Fields is playing for Chicago, though it sounds like he will. He described his shoulder injury from last week's game as a separated shoulder with partially torn ligaments, basically an AC joint injury. It is his non-throwing shoulder, important to note, and they did have him participate in a walkthrough on Wednesday, though they officially listed him as limited. It sounds like we are getting Kyler Murray back for the Cardinals this week. He said on Wednesday that he felt good and expected to start. Other guys I'm keeping an eye on as the week goes on, Leonard Fournette, who's dealing with a hip pointer. According to Bowles, it's very sore. The determiner there, according to Bowles, will be whether or not Fournette can run at full speed. If he can't go, That'll be good for Rashad White, the other running back, and I'll talk more about that in just a second. Another injury that could affect a different fantasy asset, Jalen Warren, who hurt his hamstring early in the game last week. According to Mike Tomlin, he will be questionable for the Colts game on Monday, so that's good news for Najee, who has looked like he just needed a kick in the pants And Jalen Warren, the threat of him, provided that very nicely. He has since then looked very much like the workhorse back that we all thought he'd be this season. As for the rest of my fantasy thoughts on Week 12, let's break the huddle and go position by position. All right, let's start with the quarterback position and the Thursday slate. Josh Allen's the obvious guy here against Detroit, which allows the most points per game to quarterbacks, uh, the most rushing yards to quarterbacks. They're tied for the most rushing touchdowns allowed to quarterbacks. I mean, it's Josh for the win. Boom. I know he's had a rough couple of weeks, but it's Detroit. Uh, It's got to get there. You got to 
you're just going to have to pay up, I think, and hope it gets there because the rest of the slate on Thursday is pretty gross from a quarterback standpoint. You don't want to play Kirk Cousins in primetime. It's a primetime game on Thursday. Lights on, Kirk, shriveling. That's what happens. Uh, you don't want to play Jared Goff. Uh, I I did like Daniel Jones in this matchup a lot, actually, prior to finding out that the Giants would be without four offensive linemen. Um, that is, uh, the reason I liked him is because I think their best chance to beat Dallas is to neutralize the pass rush by running the ball. And I thought that the fact that he was a running threat, along with Saquon, obviously, would actually help in that department. And I still think he's going to need to run a lot. Um, and I still kind of wanted to make it work. But I just don't think the scoring opportunities are going to be there the way that you need them to be, especially without Wando Robinson on the field. Um, it's kind of a bummer, but I think that we got to pivot here. Maybe to Dak in DFS because the Giants' secondary is also banged up. Noah Dory Jackson, as I mentioned earlier, this game has Cowboys blowout written all over it. And if it doesn't, then Dayball is going to get a ton of love this week. Looking ahead to the main slate, Herbert has a really good matchup against Arizona. We saw what Garoppolo did against that defense on Monday night last week. They've allowed five of their last seven opponents to score 20 or more points, the quarterbacks from a fantasy standpoint. And while one of those quarterbacks was Jalen Hurts, and he's obviously going to get there, the others were Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Geno Smith. The ones who have not gotten there against them in that time frame have been John Wolford and Geno Smith the first time. So the matchup is right. Can Herbert take advantage? The offense for the Chargers looked a lot better against the Chiefs in another plus matchup in some ways, I guess you could say. They did lose Mike Williams, only had him for a short period of time. Keenan on the field changes things a lot, I think. It opens things up for Josh Palmer. Um, so we'll see if they can keep it going from a fantasy standpoint and take advantage of that matchup against Arizona. Chargers should win that game. Will they? I don't know. Burrow's probably my favorite main slate DFS play this week against Tennessee, though it does come with some risk too. The Titans are allowing the seventh most points per game to quarterbacks. Um, they give up tons of yards. In fact, half of the quarterbacks who have faced them have gone over 300 yards. There is an interception risk. Burrow's up there with eight on the year, and the Titans have at least one interception on defense in all but two games this season. It does sound like he's going to have Chase back this week, which would help, but I thought it was really good to see him get there last week without him, or as he said, I am who I thought I was. I don't know why I love his swag, and some people it like comes off as cocky in a bad way, and you're like, ugh, it's off-putting, but for Joe, it somehow works, but it just does. Um, it was not great to see his passes batted at the line, and I do have some concerns about the Titans' defensive front in that department. It's very good. Also, their ability to generate pressure. Burrow is incredible when his O-line wins. I'm not sure that that will be the case in this matchup. But if he has the time to get the ball downfield, the Titans have given up explosive plays through the air a lot this year, like, like a Lions-type amount. Um, that's Burrow's wheelhouse. He's $6,700 compared to, for instance, $8,000 for Lamar. I really like the value. And speaking of Lamar... He has been really struggling lately to get to his ceiling in fantasy. He's only cleared 18 points one time since week four, and he needed a late one-yard touchdown run last week 
to get to 16. And that was his first rushing touchdown since week three, which really hurts when your passing totals are as low as his have been this year. His max passing yardage post week two is 238. His lack of downfield threats are crushing his fantasy value. That said, Jacksonville has allowed the 10th most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks, and Daniel Jones ran for 107 yards against them in Week 7. As I mentioned earlier, he's $8,000 on DraftKings. That's the second most expensive quarterback on the main slate. I don't love it. Fields versus the Jets. Um, Obviously, there's the injury situation that we talked about earlier, but let's just assume that he plays. The Jets have been really good on defense this year. They are fifth in defensive DVOA, defense-adjusted value over average. They're third in defense-expected points added. They held New England to 3.8 yards per carry last week, uh, 99 yards on 26 attempts. In the pass rush last week, they had six sacks. I still think that the fantasy value will be there for fields on the ground. We saw Josh Allen put up 86 yards rushing with two touchdowns that way against them in week nine. Other than that, though, they haven't really faced a good quarterback since week three. So that makes it a tougher read. Prior to week three, Burrow and Lamar both scored over 20 points against them. Jalen versus Green Bay. Last two quarterbacks to face the Packers have gone over 20 fantasy points. Tannehill and Dak. And the last five straight have thrown for multiple touchdowns. But they've only allowed one rushing touchdown all year to a quarterback. That said, Hurts' worst game in fantasy this year has been 16 points. And he scored 20-plus in every game. But two, obviously, you're firing him up. Gino is an interesting one. I feel like Vegas, which is the team that he plays this week, is kind of a neutral canvas against which quarterbacks just are what they are, which is to say whatever your average is, that's probably what you're going to do against Las Vegas. On the year, they've allowed a ton of fantasy points to quarterbacks because they gave up a lot to very good quarterbacks early. Lately, though, 19 for Davis Mills, 17 for Andy Dalton, 16 for Trevor Lawrence, 22 for Matt Ryan, 10 for Russell. Geno averages 18 points per game. I think 20 points is reasonable to expect from him. Matt Ryan, on the surface, it's a good matchup against Pittsburgh on Monday, but I do think that there's a higher risk of interception here. They have four in the last two weeks, the Steelers' defense, and they have the third most picks on the year while Matt Ryan has thrown the third most picks. Looking at the running backs now, my favorite one for daily fantasy this week is Jeff Wilson Jr. against Houston. He has got the cheat code this week against the team, allowing the most points per game to running backs, 31 a game. That's how much Houston's giving up. They've allowed six different backs to score 20 or more fantasy points. Last time we saw him, he was averaging seven yards a carry against Cleveland on his way to 143 scrimmage yards. He's been really good, like legitimately good this year as a running back, not just in fantasy. He's fifth in the NFL in rushing yards over expectation. He's tied for sixth in yards per carry at 5.4. His offense is great. The script will be great. And here's the best part for DFS. He's $5,900. Kenneth Walker against Las Vegas. 
So the last time we saw him, he didn't come through for us. He averaged 1.7 yards per carry against Tampa Bay, a game in which Seattle trailed. So he didn't get that much run in the game, literally. What I think we saw there, though, was that was a positive takeaway was the way that they used him in the passing game. Eight targets, six catches. This week's matchup is against Las Vegas, which has allowed the most receiving yards to running backs on the year. That's pretty much entirely why they allowed the third most fantasy points to running backs. The last month has been particularly tough for them. Prior to last week's game against Denver, they'd allowed 38 points to Kamara, 28 points to Etienne, and 23 to Jonathan Taylor. I think that Kenneth Walker's floor has settled in to be around 12 points, and we've seen a ceiling that can get to 30. I think it's a pretty good investment at $6,900. As for the other running back in that one, you're obviously starting Josh Jacobs in season long. I don't think I'm going to go there in DFS, and not just because he burned me a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm trying to figure him out. I've noticed his yards per carry have dipped in the last month, for a month. While he was in the fives or sevens every game but one prior to that, in the last month, we've seen 4.3 yards per carry, 3.9 yards per carry, 3.7, 4.5. I'm wondering what that's about. I'm wondering if his volume is maybe catching up to him. Maybe it's 100% nothing, but I do think it's interesting that there's a pattern. Like you look at other running backs and sometimes they go for, you know, four yards a carry and then 5.9 and then seven and then four and then, and it kind of fluctuates. But this was early in the year, just making the most of every single opportunity. And in the last month, consistently, you do see a drop off there in terms of what he's done, his efficiency, I guess. So he's been kind of boom or bust. And I guess that's to be expected with the things that I just said. He has five games over 19 points and he has five games under 15. And in every game he scored over 15, he's had 100 scrimmage yards. Maybe my hang up here is the offense. I'm not sure I trust Las Vegas to be consistent with uh, utilization or success. Um, could be a negative game script. I don't know. Maybe it's my Raider hater in me as as in like fans are tend to be toughest on the teams that they care about. I feel like I've sort of taken that on by extension of my brother, but uh, I'm a little bit I mean, right. Josh Jacobs has been one of the best running backs in the NFL this year. I just am a little bit wary about paying up for him in daily. Those are my thoughts. This has been my TED talk. Rashad White, uh, the wariness theme will continue. Um, I think he will be popular this week, partially because he's playing against Cleveland, which is awful at stopping the run. I mean, if there is a game where you want to get a lot of volume, it is against the Browns. Um, the other reason I think he's going to be popular is because he's $5,100. I think I might stay away from him in daily and take a few things into account when assessing season-long value. Um, I think the only scenario in which I would play him is if Fournette is out or very, very limited, and we know what we're going to get from him going into the game. He's dealing with a hip injury, as I mentioned, so that is possible. Um, we've been talking about him overtaking Lenny for weeks now, and the only reason it happened in their last game was because Fournette left with that injury. But before he left, Fournette had more carries and was averaging more yards per carry. I'm not convinced that the coaching staff there is as done with Lenny as the fantasy football community seems to be. And I'm wary about the fact that White's only reached double digits twice this year. One time he needed a touchdown to get there, and the other time he needed 100 yards. His individual metrics are not off the charts. He hasn't averaged five yards a carry in a single game this year. So again, 
I want to make sure the opportunity that we think is going to be there is actually going to be there before I go crazy with him. James Conner has a plus matchup this week. The Chargers allowing a league high five and a half yards per carry. He's been super touchdown dependent this year, though. And I kind of think that Kingsbury has been pretty predictable in terms of play calling. So I will not bang the table for Connor in DFS at $6,600. But I assume many of you have him hovering between bench flex RB2. So it is worth pointing out, I think, that the matchup for him is good this week. The same goes for Antonio Gibson versus Atlanta. Falcons allowing the fifth most points per game to running backs and the seventh most receiving yards to running backs. He is definitely in a timeshare, but he was on the field twice as much as Brian Robinson last week, and he's the guy they go to in the passing game. He's $5,400. I think he can get you double digits, maybe 20. I talked about the quarterback change for the Jets. I think that could benefit Michael Carter there. Mike White, who is now their starting quarterback, checked it down to running backs a lot when he played before. Uh, Carter is the preferred passing game option. He had a rough week last week against the Patriots, as did everyone in that Jets offense. But two games ago against the Bills, he looked great. Six yards per carry, 12 attempts, 76 yards. And the matchup is good this week against the Bears, who are allowing the fifth most rushing yards to running backs and the sixth most fantasy points And I think that this is a spot where you lift him off the bench and you play him in your flex. Devin Singletary is interesting to me on Thursday because I think the Bills will be able to lean on him a little bit more than usual. And I think we saw them do that last week in a different plus matchup from a rushing standpoint. Like they put so much on Allen's plate this season that I think they should take advantage of the times when they don't have to. I think this game is one of those circumstances. I see this as a 15-plus attempt game for him, so I think he's playable this week. I think Saquon is the Giants' best chance to beat the Cowboys, and I think he should be prioritized early on in the offense to keep Micah Parsons on his heels, but it's a risk with the O-line injuries that could lead to lower ownership in daily though. And I do like that. I also think the quarterback situation on Thanksgiving could affect Saquon's ownership in DFS. If you pay up for Josh Allen, for instance, you might not be able to afford Barkley, but again, that probably makes him a stronger contrarian play. I love Pollard in that game. And I even like Zeke against the Giants defense that's allowing 5.3 yards per carry to running backs. Only two script scenarios I see here in this game are big lead for Dallas or neutral game script for Dallas, and both of those scripts benefit the running backs. As for Ramondre Stevenson, the Vikings defense has allowed the second most fantasy points per game to running backs in the last two weeks. That said, I think he's somewhat matchup proof because of the way that they use him in the passing game now. He was their leading receiver last week, you guys, in yards, catches, and he tied for the lead in targets. He was on the field for 78% of the snaps. That's bonkers for a Patriots running back. Uh, I am a little bit concerned about the game script. He is not going to do what Pollard did to Minnesota last week. Game script's not going to be like that, but I do think that 15 to 20 points is reasonable. Looking at the wide receivers now, Pittman and Paris Campbell versus Pittsburgh, play them both. They've both established pretty high floors since Matt Ryan returned, and Pittsburgh is a matchup where you start your wide receivers. Although Tyler Boyd didn't get there last week. Higgins definitely did. On average, though, the Steelers are allowing 42 fantasy points per game to wideouts. Perimeter, slot, it has not mattered. Everyone eats. Flip side in that game, Indy's been pretty tough 
on opposing wide receivers. I would maybe think about fading Deontay Johnson and George Pickens if you have other options. Terry McLaurin is a really good play this week and a good value at $5,800. Since Heineke took over, his target share has been the third best in the league and his air yard share is the highest in the NFL. Also, his fantasy points per game have risen from 11 to 16. This week's matchup is very good. Atlanta's allowing the second most points per game to wide receivers. 17 different receivers, you guys, have hit double digits against them. They've only played 11 games. Six guys have scored 20 or more fantasy points against them. Moral of the story, play Terry McLaurin. Same story for Christian Kirk this week, who was on a tear before the bye. 53 points in two weeks. Now he gets the Ravens, who have allowed the third most points to slot receivers, which is, of course, where he works. On Thursday, you're playing Justin Jefferson, but kind of a buyer beware here. Not a single wide receiver that has faced them this year has reached 16 fantasy points. Not one. The best that we've seen was Waddle in week one. He scored 15 points. Tyreek, same game, scored 14. That said, we're going to learn a lot about New England secondary in the next few weeks. They've got Jefferson this week, then Diggs in week 13, then Hop in week 14, Devontae Adams in week 15. There's more. Jamar Chase in week 16, Tyreek in week 17, and Diggs again in week 18. Are you kidding me about that stretch of games? Whoo, giddy up. We're going to learn a lot about Jonathan Jones. Uh, Back to this week's game for a second. I would not play Thielen in this matchup, A, because of the matchup, and B, because TJ Hawkinson's kind of vultured his role. Not only are his targets down in general, but his red zone targets are down, and that has been his bread and butter from a fantasy scoring standpoint. Just two red zone targets since Hawkinson came on board there in Minnesota compared to six for Hawk and six for Jefferson. Also on Thursday, Diggs and CD are obvious guys at this point. I kind of like Gabe Davis too, though. The Lions have allowed the sixth most points per game to wide receivers, and while my Feelings have not been accurate projectors of fantasy points this year. See my Josh Lambeau at Lambeau pickup. I feel like a nationally televised Thanksgiving Day game is exactly the environment where Davis thrives. Like three touchdowns out of nowhere with all of us watching. You can totally see it, right? Just just say yes. And we'll move on to tight ends. Uh, The tight end with the best matchup this week is Gerald Everett, which is kind of a bummer because we don't know if he's going to play. Or if even if he did play, he would be effective because he's dealing with a groin injury. Um, This is one of two of the only real mismatches out there for tight ends in the NFL this year. Arizona's allowing 21 points per game. They've allowed 942 yards to the position, while the team that's allowed the third most points has allowed 504. It is drastic. Um, The other tight end, and like I said, there's only two that is in a plus matchup this week. Well, like a plus plus matchup, I guess, is Foster Morrow. And by the way, yes, I just learned this past weekend that it's Morrow and not Moreau. I am late to that party. He's got the Seahawks, who have allowed tight ends to score double digits seven different times, including Ross Dwelly and Adam Troutman. They've also allowed two 30-plus point games. I don't think that's going to happen this week, but I think you could do worse than Moro off the waiver wire, though maybe not. He's been known to throw a three on the board here and there, like mm, last week, for example. Speaking of last week, though, 
uh, at least Moreau, I got to adjust, Moreau will be on the field. And we know that. He literally played 100% of the team's offensive snaps last week, as did Matt Collins. Devontae Adams was out there for 98%. Josh Jacobs was out there for 80 There is like no rotation for Las Vegas. Those are their guys, those four guys. They're going to be out there. They want to get them the ball. We know that, which is good for fantasy. Unfortunately, the defense knows that too, which is bad for football. Other tight ends who get a bump for a matchup this week, Dawson Knox against the Lions coming off a game where he played 80% of the snaps. That's great. Fant against the Raiders, David Njoku or Harrison Bryant against the Bucks. That one's interesting because Njoku didn't play that much last week, just 37% of the snaps compared to Bryant's 73. Oh, that's interesting. They're literally inverted. My guess is that they were just easing him back in and that that will flip at some point, but it's hard to know if this is that week. All right, good times. That'll do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening and spending part of your holiday weekend with us. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and you enjoy the best parts of the meal, the green bean casserole with the green beans out of the can. I don't know why it's so much better with the green beans out of the can, but they gotta be out of the can because it's just better that way. That is my number one Thanksgiving side followed by sweet potato casserole. I'm a big casserole person at holiday meals, apparently. Um, Also, these are the only things I know how to make, but that's neither here nor there. I hope you enjoy the games. I hope all your fantasy teams win. And I hope if you have not already subscribed to this podcast that you will go ahead and hit that button so that Monday's episode will just be there waiting for you as soon as it drops. Recapping week 12, we also put out an episode on Wednesday in the middle of the week. Our producer on the show is Andrew Emmer, who is outstanding, and the show itself is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or start-sit questions for me, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'll try and help out if I can. I'm also on Instagram at Lindsay Rhodes NFL. Again, have a wonderful holiday. I'm so thankful for you guys listening to the podcast, and I'll see you again on Monday. Sirius XM Podcasts.